M&A red flags about the quality of an acquisition target's leadership don't always make it to the top 10 on a due diligence list. But my next guest says leadership quality can make or break the success of your deal. So what do you need to look out for? How bad is bad? When we come back, we'll find out. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, helping you see business issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line. Welcome to Business Confidential Now. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, and I've got a great guest for you today to talk about M&A red flags. She's Claire Chandler, the president and founder of Talent Boost and the author of The Decision Dashboard. Claire specializes in leadership and business value creation, helping private equity firms acquire and future-proof the right businesses through management team due diligence, organizational design, acquisition integration, onboarding, and performance acceleration. She's known for getting results because she's insanely easy to work with, cuts through the corporate... (laughs) You thought I was going to say something nasty, weren't you? Corporate clutter, okay? And she's got a crystal clear, proven approach for building your strategic growth map. She's a no-nonsense kind of gal, exactly my kind of people, and I look forward to hearing and learning more about these leadership M&A red flags. So welcome to Business Confidential Now, Claire. Thanks, Hannah. It's so great to be here. Wow, Claire, you know, M&A red flags and leadership quality. Just how do you go about measuring leadership quality? Isn't it highly subjective? You know, that is has to be one of the biggest myths about people, right? That human beings can't be measured. And I suspect it is why most investors don't go anywhere near that as part of their due diligence. But actually, there are ways that we can and we do and we must measure the capability and the capacity of the people within the organization, because we all know without the right people, your business is going to fail. Well, that's true. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that are hesitant and and buy into that myth. But still, I mean, what do you do? Put a thermometer on them? How do you measure? (laughs) You know, that is a common misconception. And I promise you that the, the way that I go about it, my framework and my methodology are far less invasive than a thermometer. And it's interesting because, you know, as we're already saying, investors largely overlook or choose not to take a very close or in-depth look at the people within their target companies for that very misconception that they cannot measure the capacity, the capability, the motivation of people. And I would argue that 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 is absolutely not true. We can measure. We should measure. We must measure because people are what drive the business. In fact, there are studies that have shown that somewhere around 72% of the value of any business is driven by intangible assets. Those are things like the people, the brand, the intellectual property, the knowledge that is contained within any business. And so it stands to reason that we pay closer attention to that on the front end before we put our investment dollars or our heart and soul into a business. So the way that I go about it is I use a variety of tools, but a couple that are very science-based diagnostic tools that enable me to collect data on an individual basis on exactly what the capacity and capabilities are of the individuals within an organization, and just as important, what motivates them. Because we know that investors can have a brilliant growth strategy. And any investor you talk to is going to tell you that their growth strategy for an acquisition 
is sheer brilliance. And they invariably come up against this frustration of cultural resistance. The people dig their heels in. They don't want to make the changes that the investor finds necessary to grow the business in the right way, at the right pace, in the right direction. And so we need to measure and understand what motivates individuals within that organization so that we can feed those motivators and accelerate their ability to buy into and contribute to that growth strategy. That's great because it really is a blended family when you're merging to live organizations. It's not just an asset acquisition. So when you've got this great methodology, all right, let's check that box. But the results of your methodology, what in your experience are the most important M&A red flags when it comes to leadership quality? Yeah, so there, there were a couple, right? One of them, you know, we already kind of touched upon, you know, d- does this team, especially at the leadership ranks, because you have to have enough depth of talent within an organization that you're going to acquire. But a lot of the investors that I work with are looking at relatively small target companies. So that depth may not be, you know, we may not be talking about a huge organization, but it's really important to make sure you've got the right leadership. And even if you're going to change out one or two or more of those players in the top management team, it's important to make the right changes for the right reasons. So it's really important to look for some of those red flags in terms of capability. One of the biggest red flags, quite honestly, is misalignment. So you described it perfectly when you call the relationship between an investor and a portfolio company a blended family. But even before you throw the unique personalities, personas, ambitions, and strengths and weaknesses of the investor into the mix, you've got a, a, a bit of a family within the company already that you're acquiring. And they may or may not be aligned today just across their own leadership team. And so part of what we need to suss out, either before an investor makes that commitment to an acquisition, or worst case, as soon as possible after that deal closes, and understand the level and the degree to which that leadership team is aligned. And one of the big questions that helps us answer is, did they get from where they started to where they are today through strategic calculations and skill, or did they get here by luck? And so, you know, part of that is what we try to measure and uncover and explore with the investor. So they truly know the raw materials, the stuff, if you will, that they have to work with. I know stuff is a very technical term, didn't mean to get super technical, but it is this sort of stuff, right? This gray matter that is not as black and white and sometimes is a little bit harder to just measure and and check. Well, luck can be pretty hard to get your arms around too. How would you, can you give me an example of where the business grew from luck as opposed to a really skillful execution of their strategy? Yes, honestly, the the way that I uh, tend to uncover that, so I mentioned a couple of these sort of science-backed and science-based diagnostic tools, but part of the way that I help to fill in the the edges of what that data tells me is by having one-on-one interviews with the top management team. Now, not in every acquisition do I have that luxury and that access. Um, Oftentimes, an investor only has direct access to the owner as an example, who might be in the process of, of exiting. But as soon as they are able to to bring me in, either during the due diligence phase or very soon after the close of that acquisition, I then have one-on-one, I don't even call them interviews really, conversations 
with each of the leaders. And I'm not looking to, you know, oftentimes the people within an acquired company, this is where that cultural resistance starts right out of the gate, right? Because they immediately get their guard up and they get their defenses up and they say, you're now going to come in with your little clipboard and your little checklist and you're going to make me audition for my job. And if you're doing it the right way, one, it doesn't feel like that. And two, that's not the intention, right? The intention is to get your growth strategy implemented bought into and accelerated to the degree that you can, so you can take that company to the next level. And part of the way you do that is by making sure that that blended family between the investor and the company is the right relationship, because not all acquisitions are are alike. And so you also have to make sure that you are getting into that marriage for the right reasons and with the right partner. So, you know, a lot of what those one-on-one conversations help me to understand is Again, back to this key word around alignment, how much are all of the leaders uh, on that top management team on the same page? Are they all bought into that this is the point in our evolution where we needed some outside help, some funding and outright acquisition to grow to the next level? And if so, are we growing in a direction that we all agree on, right? So part of that and part of those conversations helped to reveal how much all of them were on the same page, aligned and committed to some of the moves that they had made along the way to getting to this point in their growth evolution. So unfortunately, I don't have a short answer for, for that question, obviously. But really, the heart of the answer to that is you have to get to know the leaders. You have to get to know their motivations, both for why they do what they do and for why they want to take their company to the next level. That makes a lot of sense. Now, let's suppose whether these conversations are held before or after closing. Um, after closing, it's a, the stakes are a little different than before, but you've uncovered something. And one or two, maybe more of these leaders that you've interviewed don't have the alignment and maybe the motivation isn't there. The capacity, the capability, the things that you measure, the, the, some of your top red flags, and you now have to go to the investor. Are they quick to assume it away, saying, ah, we'll work it out, don't worry about it? Or how do you go about that conversation? I've been fortunate enough that the investors that I choose to get into business with understand that the reason that they're bringing me in is to bring them some of that Mm -hmm. intel, right, that they would not otherwise have. I think it was Bain and Company that that, uh, did a private equity study uh, last year, their state of the industry. And they said it was somewhere around, it was over 90%, I think it was around 92% of businesses underperform when they delay talent decisions, 92%. And that's a key factor. And it was decisions around talent. I didn't say decisions around which accounting system to put in. It was decisions around the intangible assets that we talk about. And so it's really important when I do bring, because it does happen, when I bring the results of that that assessment, those diagnostics, those one-on-one conversations, that that management team due diligence, whether prior to the deal going through or shortly after. The investors sit up and take notice, right? Because they have a couple of decisions to make, and now they're armed with more data and more hardline information than just a gut feel that this person is going to work out and that person will not. And now you've got a different decision to make because you are much better informed. And the answer is not always pass-fail, right? Sometimes it's about these leaders, you know, of the 10, let's just say, that we have spoken to and kind of worked with, these three check all the boxes. They get it. 
they've got the capacity uh, the, the capacity to get it at a deeper level to make the changes necessary to receive feedback and input and potentially criticism right so i.e they are coachable that's a key factor that we can actually measure and so these three are ones that we want to keep on the team get embedded in the growth strategy sooner than later and and position as champions and change agents for the organization and maybe there's another three that are potentially the right fit to to make those sorts of contributions but maybe they're not in the right role right so and again those roles can evolve maybe they were in the right role pre-acquisition and now their skills their motivations their attributes their style are better suited to a different role in this acquired organization. And then, of course, there's the component of, you know, these are leaders that, given where you want to take the organization, the level of change that will be required, the evolution in, you know, the the leadership presence they need to have or the aptitude they need to demonstrate, et cetera, they're just not bought in enough. They just don't have the capacity. They don't have the emotional you know, glue, if you will, or commitment or buy-in, and it would be very difficult and drawn out to try to get them there. So that's part of the intel that I, you know, will sit down with an investor to review with them, to arm them with that information so that they can, one, make better decisions about the leaders that they have, and two, so that they can make more intentional moves in terms of putting the people in the right roles, but also building that buy-in and that commitment earlier on in the process than they would otherwise do. Awesome. That's a tall order, though. I'm glad that you have have all of these proprietary tools to help you and are also working with investors who are willing to listen. That's a really important factor because if they're willing to just, you know, assume it away, then all that work is for naught. But, you know, I really like what you're talking about. It is a must-have criterion for for both sides that, you know, they will listen to that advice. It's something you can tell pretty early on when you're when you're kind of talking with some of the investors. Some investors get it. Some investors don't get it yet, but want to get it. And, you know, some investors are just, shall we say, not and, my And clients. that's fair. I mean, that's definitely one way to sort them out. I'm just, you know, in listening to all of this and what you're saying about leadership quality, I love the criteria that you're, you're looking at. But it also occurs to me that taking it outside and transferring this outside of the M&A red flag situation to just a hiring situation for a smaller business that, you know, doesn't have the financial wherewithal to be able to afford a lot of leadership mistakes, because as you say, it has a tremendous impact on the success and viability of an organization to grow. So do you have some tips that maybe a midsize or smaller business owner could adapt when they're doing their interview process for someone in a leadership capacity in their organization? Yes, I can. And I'm so happy you went there with this conversation. To your point, the ripple effects of a poor decision or a delayed decision in a smaller organization are far larger than in a big organization or or in an organization that is backed by the deep pockets of an investor. So it's a very important point that you are are bringing up through your question. The answer is, and I have some clients who are on the, you know, that are not in the investment community, that are smaller companies that are trying to get ready to grow and to scale either on their own or through the, you know, the help of an investor yet to be identified. 
And we go through most of the same methodology and a framework of measuring and sizing up and evaluating what is their current readiness to grow? What is their current readiness to scale? What is their current readiness, if they so choose, to take on an investor? So part of what we do with that is when we're collecting all of this, this data around, you know, what are the key strengths that you have in your organization now? And it's important to understand, too, key strengths are not the same in every organization, right? They are not the same in the people you have. They're also not the same fundamentally that you need in one organization compared to another. So the way that we we sort of ferret that out, if you will, is we get very, very clear on what is your mission, both today and where you want to be down the road, whether that's five years down the road, 12 months down the road, where are you trying to get to? Once we're clearer on that, we come up literally with a list, an inventory of if that's the mission, that's the destination, what do you absolutely have to have? What is mission critical in terms of your capabilities, your strengths, your attributes, et cetera? And once we have that list, then we can evaluate the people that you have, again, especially at the leadership level, and understand where the gaps are. So to come back to your question, that becomes now your, your hiring, your screening criteria. Because the last thing you want to do, especially as a small organization, is just hire more people who look like you, talk like you, act like you, and are strong in the areas that you're already strong in. Use those hiring decisions to bring in people, yes, that, that have strong chemistry with you from a, you know, a strategy perspective and from a brainstorming and you know, can mesh well with the personalities you've already got, but who possess the strengths in those fundamental attributes that you currently lack. So that measurement piece is very, very important. And I would argue it's even more important, critically important for a small organization who, again, the ripple effects of making a poor hiring decision are far greater than in a large organization that could perhaps absorb a bad hire or a misplaced leader. Very good. Yeah, you've written a book called The Decision Dashboard. What would be the reader's biggest takeaway from that book? What do you want them to get out of it? The decision dashboard basically takes my the, the meat of my methodology and it's like a super concentrated version of a do-it-yourself, you know, kind of kind of building your growth readiness platform. You know, the, the biggest thing in my experience, you know, in my research and in my client work, you know, the biggest landmines to growth are lack of clarity, lack of preparedness. You know, it's, it's those types of landmines where people don't fully understand where it is they're trying to get to, what they possess now, what they need to fill in, and how to go about doing that so that they can take four steps forward and maybe a half step back versus one step forward and two steps back, again, through bad or misguided or solely gut level decisions. So if you take away nothing else from that book, It's that you need to start with getting absolute crystal clear clarity on where it is that you're trying to go and trying to grow as an organization. Fabulous. Claire, thanks so much. I think you've given us not just great insights about M&A red flags and leadership quality, but also ways to think about it. So thank you for that. I really 
appreciate all that you do. And if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with Claire and learn more about her fascinating work, her contact information is going to be found in the show notes at businessconfidentialradio.com, along with a link to her book, The Decision Dashboard. Sounds like there's a lot of great information in there and a sneak peek behind the curtain of her methodology. And if you know someone who needs help identifying M&A red flags, please tell them about this podcast episode, share the link, and leave a positive review so others can learn more too. Thank you for listening to Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Have a great day and an even better tomorrow.